just this, I can just check here. I think we should be recording. Yeah, that looks good. David. Hi. Hi, Tim. Hey, thank you for coming in to, from all the way from across town. Oh, yeah, it was a long walk, <laughs> almost a whole minute. Yeah, you poor thing. I know. Um, noise. Shall we talk about noise? Oh, I like talking about noise. <laughs> good. It, it's uh, it's a, a fascinating thing to me. It's, it's one of those words that's got so many interpretations and meanings, and everyone kind of thinks about it in a different way. And so it, it's we use it in in uh, relation to sound in four different ways, really. One is talking about a sort of statistical um, description of sound, so white noise, that kind of thing, where it's really about the randomness of the sound. One of them is about um, how sound that can potentially damage our hearing, so high-level sound. One of them is about sound that is annoying or 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 irritating, oh, yeah. that kind of thing. And and one's about like signal to noise ratio, so so um sound that blocks other sound from from our hearing. And those four different usages all tend to get a bit intermingled in the way we think about it. Mm -hmm. And so you get this almost like a confusion, but it's an interesting kind of confusion about what noise even is. Yeah, noise is, um, noise is like a, in a lot of ways a derogatory term. You know, that's noise. Yep. Yeah, not a good thing as opposed to, say, music or sound, which, mm. are, which are good things. True. Um, there's a question I wanted to ask about noise, which is specifically related to flies. <laughs> and the fact that I've noticed that if there's a blowfly buzzing around, I'm certain that after the blowfly has left, my brain's telling me I can still hear the blowfly. I can, I can still hear a buzzing. Well, at least I think yeah. I can. I can. No, I can't because the fly is gone. It's out of the room. Yeah. But it's a weird thing because it's something to do with that particular sound and the brain picking it up and going, we don't like that or something. It's... Th that sounds likely, yeah, because if, you, if you're listening out for it because you don't like the fly being in the room, yeah. Yeah. so your, your, your brain's setting itself up to hear this sound of this annoying thing so you can track it down and swat it or kick it out or whatever you do to them. And so you, you're sort of setting yourself up to hear that sound. And so any r random perturbation in your auditory system or little sounds from around with that sort of profile, it's a buzz. So it's not an yeah. uncommon kind of sound. You, you probably ought, sort of tend to hear it as such. So... Um so with noise in your in your work then, um, is it something that you research in terms of how it damages people's hearing? Is that what you do? Yeah, we do. Well, that's one. Like you know, those four different ways yeah. of. So I think we we sort of look at probably all of them in a way, uh, but what that is certainly one of the lines of work that we do is around um, trying to help people not develop noise induced hearing loss, and so we do. That's got sort of a couple of branches. One is in noisy workplaces where, like factories, that kind of place where, or nightclubs or places where the sound is really loud and the people who are working in it will often sort of, they'll know it's loud, mm. but they kind of feel like, oh, I've, I've sort of got used to it, it's probably all right, which it isn't, yeah. right? It's still damaging their hearing even if they don't mind yeah, that's it happening. anymore. Um, so there's that. And then the other side of it is... Um, work we do with uh, kids in schools and around about 10 year old kids is kind of the, the the sweet spot if you like where they're old enough to understand some of the tricky details but they're not sort of already conditioned to thinking loud loud music's cool okay. and that kind of thing yeah that's a good point 
I saw something in some of the work online that you've done was that you're getting people, kids, to teach kids about this, yeah. so they actually understand and learn, remember, hey, I should, you know, I should look after my hearing too because I've been teaching people about it. That's a good idea. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we we really like that program. Um, it it so it's a it's a program called the Dangerous Decibels Program, and we it's a um the the final the final product is a a forty five minute classroom presentation, ideally to a class of about thirty kids, um and we go to the second local secondary school. Funnily enough, I, I was at a party last night and uh, was talking to one of my friends who's a um, secondary school teacher here at uh, Kuiper huh. College. And she was saying, you should come and do it here. Cause, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and we're, we're, we're planning to try and do it. But um, So you, you take the, the older secondary school kids, you train them to deliver this program, which is nine modules that all together make up this 45-minute thing. And it's really fun. It's like, it's basically playing games and you're talking with the 10-year-old kids, you're sort of talking to them and getting them to engage. It's, it's really enjoyable just to do and for them. And so the the secondary school kids then learn it and then they go out to the local primary and intermediate schools and teach the kids there. Mm. And of course, who do 10-year-old kids listen to? Yeah. 15, 16-year-old kids. Yeah, the big they, kids. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's really fun. That's um, a really clever approach for two reasons. Because you're right, the kids will listen because it's big kids telling them. So you're guaranteed they're going to take it in. Yeah, yep. And the big kids are... Are like actually baking it into their brain. They can't now deny it and go, oh, no, it probably doesn't hurt my hearing. It's like, I know this isn't a good thing. I'll turn my headphones down a little bit. That's yep. a really good, Bingo. clever yeah. idea. Yeah, well, you're on it. And that was uh, the thing we were quite pleased with. That we did a, a little bit of research on the older kids mm. to see what happened to them. And as you say, because they'd been saying it so much, yeah. it's kind of hard not to believe it. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So, and it, it does that, but it also does. And this is one of the things I was talking to Fleur about last night. Is it does, um, it gives those older kids a, a sort of an opportunity to get involved in a, a scientific kind of discipline. Yeah. It gives, it lets them see how it's relevant to real life. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's so it it has a lot of benefits that's for everybody. That's a really concerned. good program. Yeah, what's it called? The Dangerous Decibels. Dangerous program. Decibels. Yeah. And that's, is it just through New Zealand secondary schools? How does it get no, roll out? Yeah, well, that's a good question. It it um, it was originated in the United States. Right. And there's a group of people who were over there um, who came here. And at that time, that was in 2011. So um, they trained a group of us here. Yeah. And at that time, we were working with an organization called the Pindrop Foundation, um, who that they were sort of um, doing that work w with us around going to schools. And so they were looking after the the um, the management of it, and we were doing the sort of technical side. Um, they had a change of direction, and then we were working with Hearing New Zealand, which is another charity that does that kind of thing. They've recently had a change of direction as well. So we're actually looking for a, um, a new group to work with. So, you know, right. maybe maybe we can uh, find yeah. someone here. If, yeah, if, we might. Uh... <laughs> That's your field? Yeah, get in contact with David. Um... Oh, but sorry, to ask, answer your question. So, so um, it doesn't have to go through secondary schools. That's yeah. one way to do it. The other way is to train a group of adults. And this is what we were doing with here in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, training a lot of their volunteers and and staff who would then go to the local schools around the country and do it, which is a more efficient way in some ways because they don't you know leave school 
when you think about this, mm. th- this really should be part of just, I guess, new normal health education at school. That you're hearing health. Ah, well, I like the way you think, and you know that's something we've we've tried to explore. It's a little bit tricky to get things added into the curriculum. I can imagine um, it would be, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a. Uh, but if your goal is to teach kids about health and and let's protect their hearing to yep. he- the health of their hearing, yeah. And this is a program you can demonstrate works really well. Yeah, you know, somewhere in the education board they should be going. We should just do that. We should drop whatever else we're doing because this will work. These kids will actually learn. And they might get both sides of it. When they're 10-year-old kids, they get taught it. When they're 16-year-old kids, they get to be the teachers. These kids will look after their hearing. Yep, absolutely. And when they grow up and are working in factories or loud places, then hopefully... They they end up there with their own kids, you know, being taught this stuff. They can well, this relate is, to it. This is the thing. They, they they will have been taught. They will under. How do I say this? They will have the belief or the self confidence that protecting the hearing is an okay thing to do. And the, the the reason that I know that this is a good thing is because I was in Melbourne at a concert, not a concert, at a club one night. Panau were playing, and the sound in there was criminally loud Mm. it was dangerously loud and we went in there there was no oh hey it's really gonna be really loud tonight here's some uh, ear mufflers or earplugs or anything like that and I remember the indecision in my mind of going Oh, well, I should just sort of put up with it. Eventually, I said, "No, I went to the I went to the toilets, got toilet paper, and for my sister and my girlfriend, and I I said, stick this shit in your ears, man. This is too loud." And I'm really glad we did because I'm sure everyone everyone there that night suffered hearing damage. Mm. It was so loud, but there was this real having to kind of have the confidence to go, "Oh, you should do something about this." Absolutely, yeah, yeah. For, which is weird because you just you should, but it's one of those things that you kind of feel a bit of peer pressure, I suppose. To, <sighs> Look, you, 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 those comments you're making, it makes me think about of seven different things all at mm. once. So, I mean, but the, taking your last point about the, the peer pressure, the, there is this feeling, one, one of the things we seem to get from being at gigs or loud, loud concerts is this sort of sense of solidarity and community with the other people who are there. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. human beings being very social animals, it, it's one of those things that we, we really like. Mm. And I think that putting in earplugs, it kind of divorces you a little Distances bit. It's like, yeah, it separates a, you from yeah, the other people in, in, in a, some sort of psychological yeah. way. And it, to me, it's, it's associated with that whole thing of self-care mm. being a little bit... A weakness. Seen, uh, yeah. seen as a weakness. A Not weakness that it is. Or but... A, but also a kind of a... It's, it sort of seems to somehow detract from a bonding experience. Like you think of yeah. playing a sport in a team or something. And Sunscreen. Injuries. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Seatbelts. Yep. All, all those kind of things. You know, diving into water without checking. All those yep. kind of things which is kids. You've got to teach kids, hey, this is a thing you should do for safety. Yes. But, you know, in front of your mates, it's like, oh, do I have to put sunscreen on? Or do I have, you know, I can see it's that peer grouping, social grouping pressure. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? And, it and is. we do tend to like people who, who are brave. All of our yeah. stories are about this brave guy who goes and fights a dragon or something. Yeah. So is that maybe something in human nature that we just like people who don't care for themselves? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, probably. It evokes something in us. It's a it's entertainment. Oh my God, they did this, you know? Yeah. I would never do that. Wow, that makes them sort of desirable or dangerous. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder. But for for whatever reason, it, it is 
it's a thing. I mean, even even I, who you know, this is kind of my my bag. Yeah. I'll wear earplugs if I'm at loud concerts, mm. but sometimes I don't, yeah. like, because I I feel like I I don't sort of want to. Yeah. And you, you know, there is that thing of the the earplugs change the quality of the sound a wee yeah. bit, um, which. That they do, but perhaps in time, as this becomes more commonplace and people get sick of losing their hearing and waging population, people are like, "We've got to do something about this." Maybe we'll get better hearing plugs, earplugs, that will just yeah reduce the decibels, but the sound quality be great. Well, you know, we we kind of do have those musician plugs already, which they they're designed to have a more or less flat spectrum right. um, of attenuation. So so you you should be able to get just as good a sound just at a lower level. You can yeah. still experience the bodily sensation of the sound yeah. influencing you, the really loud sound that people enjoy that bass that goes through their body. Yeah. To, nice for dancing and things like that. But interestingly, I've got a um, project on this year. It's a master student and she's doing her project looking at how people use hearing prediction and what you know what it what it makes them um, experience in terms of sound and, and how well they're able to judge the difference between different types and that kind of thing. Ah, yeah. I mean, the technology of um, headphones is cool with the ability to have your sound, uh, noise-cancelling headphones, yep. thing, that's like that. This is where I, I imagine the future will get to a stage where you're using things like um, 3D printing and AI combined have a, you have an active earplug mm. where you, you put in and it will provide the deadening through the material yep. property it's got. But then it'll be able to go, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm losing the bass. I'll, I'll push the bass up in the sound you're given and using some AI capability, I'll do a really good job of deadening other areas. Yeah. You'll, you'll get great sound. Probably yeah. expensive. But. We've already got electronic um, so they're, they're kind of halfway towards what you're saying. They're earplugs, mm. and so they're, they're a, a proper earplug, but they've got a little wee um, transducer on the outside, and so it basically picks up the sound and, and feeds it through until it reaches a certain level, ah. at which point it doesn't feed it through anymore, and it uses the passive um, properties of the attenuating properties of the earplug. So it's kind of halfway well, there. It's, yeah. It doesn't quite have what you're talking about, yeah. which would be... Really nice, but I've listened through them and they work really well. Do so yeah. when it's quiet enough, everything's fine. In fact, you can control the volume, so you can turn it up a little bit if you if you want. And then, um, yeah, when it when you hit, uh, they have a tend to have a cutoff, so around about eighty two decibels, they'll sort of start to bring bring the sound level down. But they start deadening the sound. Mm. Um, I, I this is really interesting to me because I've got some I've got some friends who have hearing loss, yeah, so mm -hmm. they suffer hearing loss, and I just think, oh, I've, I wish I could build something to you know, fix it for them. But I imagine there must be work going on now with um, either implants like that, like which do a really good job of picking up sound and maybe mapping to what they're missing, like if they're missing high frequency, perhaps you can turn the high frequency up, or... Or, you know, or are we able to do things now? We start to look at repairing the damage. It's like, what happens with the ear damage? Like, actually, what what happens? Why does the noise damage wow. the ear? Okay, well, I, I mean, again, you know, you've asked a many good questions. questions and yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, the the damage in the ear is um, so there's a, a few different processes, but basically, the, your ear, you've got the the outer bit that we can see. That's that goes down to your eardrum, which most people think about, and then behind the eardrum, you've got this space, a little hole in your head, um, which is air filled, and a little chain of bones called the ossicular chain. They're tiny, tiny bones, the smallest bones in our body, mm. and the whole space is about you know a, a tiny little 
space. And they join to this organ called the cochlea, which is a um, coiled up thing. It looks like a snail's shell, yes. but it's yeah. about a centimetre across. And in that are a, a, a system of little cells. They're called hair cells because they've got these little things that look a little bit like hair sticking right. up from them. Um, you've got about 16,000 in each year when you're born. And those cells um, have the property of transducing the pressure waves, which is sound, into neural information because as the little those little hairs move, as the sound waves them. move them, the, um, the cell opens, um, releases neurotransmitters and... Uh, that stimulates the auditory nerve and takes the information up to our brain. Now, if you have too much stimulation, you basically overwork those cells. So the the um, the, the the energy requirements of the cells become such that they it, it starts to become inefficient and it produces these reactive oxygen species that you know we we hear about. This is why people you know take anti use antioxidants to to reduce them because that's partly why we age. And so, really, exposing your ear to a lot of noise makes it age faster. I suppose you could right. you could think of it. And so, those um, reactive oxygen species interact with all sorts of other things in there, cause damage, and eventually the cells reach a point where they shut themselves down. They they kill themselves off because they know they're not viable anymore. Or, worst case scenario, that they don't shut themselves down and they, they just die, oh. um, which causes more damage. And so your 16,000 you've got when you're born, you slowly start whittling it away. So when you've got your, you know, your primary school disco and it's really loud music, bang, you've lost 10 of them. Mm -hmm. uh, then, you, you, you know, you're, and over the course of your life, it gradually goes and goes, and then you start to also get the effect of aging coming in. In the bones? Do the bones so, ossify or Yeah, well, that problems? can happen That can happen as well. But no, right. at the moment, just all I'm talking about is the inner ear yeah. and those little hair cells and the nerve fibres that, yeah. that attach to them. And they just get killed off by this repeated exposure. There are other things as well. There's um, the blood flow to the cochlea is, is impacted. So it, the, when, when there's really loud sound, your ears are, are using up a lot of energy and so they're sucking the oxygen out of the blood like mad. Wow. And then, of course, the, the blood flow um, gets sort of re restricted by that, but then it comes rushing black back in, and it causes damage to the, the tiny blood vessels in your ear. Ah. There's, there's, so there's all these processes that by more or less overdriving the ear, mm. you just make it wear out faster. And is that a is that a volume thing only? Like it's the, if the decibels are too high, it's driving them too hard. Yeah. Because we're always hearing sound. We're, yep. So there's, there's constantly sound coming into the ears. But yep. if it's just at those low levels, they are able to manage it. There. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it is a combination. It's not just the level. It's also the length of time of that level. R right. So that's yep. why, like in New Zealand, the, the workplace regulations say um, the, the cutoff for where an employer has to provide hearing protection is 85 decibels over, eight hour, over an eight-hour period. Wow. Okay. So it's not just a matter of the level, but yeah. it's a combination of level and time. So 85 decibels for eight hours is um, the same as 88 decibels for four hours, weirdly, because right. decibels are a logarithmic log scale. And yeah. they, confusing. So, so it is confusing. But doubling the, doubling the sound level means halving the amount of time you can be exposed yeah. legally. Now, 
even that level will cause damage over time. Yeah. But it's sort of it's a it's a happy medium between what's kind of too demanding on employers and what's going to cause too much harm to a person. So yeah, it's 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 all a bit complicated. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I know that used to go to the gym in the city, and they have little canisters on the wall full of little rubber earplugs. Oh yeah, for for people to use. And there were some classes, I guess, where it would get quite loud. I suppose, and yeah, I, yeah, I guess I would use them. But again, there's no. Um, there's no requ- requirement there. It's just yeah. your personal choice if you want to look after your hearing, stick them in, and that's yeah. A, yeah that's a really interesting point. That we've got these regulations for workplaces, yeah. But um, you were mentioning concerts before, clubs, mm-hmm. um, any sports events, yeah. gyms. There's no real regulation around that. Yeah. So so and people don't know. I think it, it's not even that. You know, we sh- we sh- I think that the logic is we shouldn't be dictating what people do in yeah. their free time. Yeah. But it's it's also that. The, the problem to me is people don't realise yeah. that they're just gradually killing off these cells. And, it, you know, it's really sad. When you see photographs of the inner ear yeah. after they've been um, damaged by noise, it's really sad. It looks like this horrible forest that's had a hurricane go through it kind really? of thing. It's um, it's it's a, yeah, it, well, sad's the word, I think. Yeah, it, that's it. And, and we don't know because our ears don't really hurt when with, with loud noise. They might for a little bit at first, but we it, it feels like we get used to it. Yeah. They don't bleed when there's loud sound unless it's really loud and the eardrum gets ruptured or something. So this damage is happening and we don't know. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. Um, that, it's interesting. I, I always thought when people talked about the the ear hearing and having hairs, I thought that was like in the outer part of the ear, like the hairs were oh, yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. But no, they're actually behind the, the eardrum and in the cochlea yeah. is where those cells in there. That's it. And they're not really hairs. They just look, look like uh, under a, a low resolu- or low magnification microscope, they look a bit like hairs. They're called, technically, they're called stereocilia. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're just, yeah, there's, they're quite amazing. There's a, the, each hair cell, uh, of, so each hair cell, you've got about 16,000 of those in your ear. They've got on top of them this little bundle of hairs, and they, um, they're they graded in height. And so what you've, what you've got is like, three, say, say three, three like this. And as the sound comes in, as the sound comes in, they, they move relative to each other because the sound pushes yeah. them like this. And they've got, joining the top of this one to the side of this one, there are these little tiny filaments. And those filaments, as they move, Relative to each other, pull. They stretched. They stretch, yeah. and that opens what are called mechanically gated ion channels. So they pull open but little... Actually, the mechanical operation of cells is blowing my mind the more I talk to people about this. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, like the actual pure mechanics of it. Like this pulls, and that opens something, and ions can pass through it. It's, That's like, it. it's, not, it's not magic. It's actually just mechanics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, it's fascinating because you think about how the, we evolved this system to... Trans, translate or transduce pressure waves traveling through the, the medium that we're in Evolution. into neural s- signals. Yeah. And obviously they're, they're crucial for survival. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we, we did it. And it's such a beautiful system. And yeah. what do we do with it? We go to a nightclub and destroy <laughs> <Wreck> it. it. <laughs> That's a, well, that brings up a good point. Mm. Why do we do it? Why do we like loud music? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a super good question. So. Um, we we did a little bit of work um, with uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Guy Fromo, and I did some some work into that, and we just asked people who 
go to clubs. Well, why? Why do you, you know, well, what is it about that that you enjoy? We ask the, the people who go and the, and the people who run the clubs as well. Yeah. And it, it, it's because, of course, the people who run the clubs, they're working in that environment. Yeah. So technically, you know, they're actually in breach of a lot of the safety regulations because the workplace and. Yeah, 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 but it's not policed. So, however. Well, so we felt, I mean, there's a few things. One is that quite a lot of people who go to clubs don't really want it to be that loud. Mm. Um, and But the, the club owners kind of think of it as a an expectation that, mm. that it just has to be that loud So because that's what the punters a, expect kind of thing. It's a club. That's the place the loud music happens. Yeah, so, so the music needs to be loud. Yeah. That's, it, that's it. So it's a bit of a circular thing. Um, but we think there's also... A, a, a quite a big conditioning element in it. So, you know, the, the idea of classical conditioning, the Pavlov's dogs yes. with the, um, the feed sound them. of the food bowl and they start to salivate. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, what in our society, you think about when you get loud music, it's when you're having fun times, mm-hmm. right? Even I was talking about primary school discos before. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a fun day for the kids You yeah. when you have parties, loud music plays. Um, when you go out with your friends, loud music environments. And so you tend to, Start associating this loud music with all these other fun things that that are a huge part of our life, and so it's. I think we we've kind of just conditioned ourselves as a society to want loud music, and not everybody does. Of course, not everybody's been conditioned like that. Some yeah. people just don't like it, and there's other factors that come in, personality and things like that, that just make make you not want to. But um, that's that's one of the big things. The other the other side of it is there's a physiological adaptation that occurs when you're in loud music and you must have experienced this yourself when you go into a really loud place a club at first it's like woof yeah. and it does almost it does almost hurt yeah. initially and then after about 20 minutes you kind of feel used to it mm. yeah and like i said before that that's one of those weird things that it feels like you're used to it but actually you're not your system's still getting damaged yeah yeah and so um, however, because your system allows you not to feel uncomfortable anymore, we, we put up with it. So we go, at, we try and have a good night of fun. We know that loud music equals fun. We have the system that has this wonderful ability to adapt itself. And so it doesn't sound that loud after mm. a little while. And so it's just become an integral part of our, our society, I think. Mm. It's, it's, um, and, and therefore you get this situation where the managers of the bars Think this is what we've got to do. It is. It does induce in ex- excitement, loud, loud music. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's even got to do with you know, like I was trying. I was thinking a bit about this before. If mm. it goes back to things like you know, battle and yep. war and periods of time like that where it's noisy. Those things, even if it was back in hand to hand fighting, people are yelling and screaming and very excited, and it's loud and yes. that thing. And so maybe that conditioning is even sort of tied to something like that. that it's, it's a really good observation, and I think I think you're on the right track, certainly. So one of the other one of the mechanisms underlying this, we think, and and again, you know, this is what people told us, was. Loud music makes you feel tough. Mm. It makes you feel like a, a, a real man kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it is often associated with a kind of macho kind of behavior. And um, you think of young guys listening to really loud music in their cars, that kind yeah. of stuff. And so it's it, it comes back probably to the the neural system again. Mm. So your, your brain um, interprets sound in, in two different ways. 
and they're often referred to as the high road and the low road. So the high road is the the one we tend to think of more often, which is the sound goes from our ears to our auditory cortex and we interpret the sound. So this is how we're understanding what we're saying to each other now, that yeah. kind of stuff. There's also what's called the low road. And this is really interesting. Um, as we were talking about evolution before, and as we evolved, sound would have been a crucial element in our survival. Yeah. And we've got systems that make us do things like jump if we hear a loud mm. sound. Mm. The, um, the sound goes straight into our limbic system, which is where we process emotions. It, ca- it controls uh, the physiological arousal in our bodies. That's why loud sounds wake us up, for example, if we're asleep, right? Your alarm goes off. That's that system. And what we think happens is when you hear a really loud sound, you you get this initial sense of actual fear. Uh, Yeah, excitement. Well, well, excitement, but a little bit of excitement, but also actual fear. Like Because you're automatically programmed to feel fear. When and and little, little bits of fear are fun. They are, yeah. because you then control that, because yeah. there, there are descending pathways controlling this, um, th- this low road, this, the, the limbic system. So what happens when you're, you're, um, you play your music really loud is you get this momentary fear, you control yourself, because you know there's nothing to actually fear, yeah. so you just go, no, steady on, and then... That's why you feel tough, right? That's yeah. because you, you, and you've controlled the master. You've the fear. controlled your fear. You've mastered <laughs> your fear, and so we 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 think that is part of it as well. And that's probably why you were talking about like battle and battle cries and things. Well, yeah, perhaps. that's probably where they came from. Mm. Is by uh, this big yell. Yeah. Is like well, puts fear in the well, heart of your enemy. And well, even at sport, even when it's not f- fear but excitement, like if your team's winning and they're running down the field and it's all good people are yelling at the top of their lungs and you're smiling it's a good feeling and it's loud yeah well that's true that is true yeah yeah Yeah. so it's all sort of tied up with fun excitement overcoming your own um weaknesses if you like and and then there's also that high road side of it which is you know the enjoyment of the music itself the um the other experiences and then tied in with that is the stuff we were talking about before of that, that sense of bonding mm. with others, which, yeah. again, it's related to sport, right? That, mm. that sort of team thing with all these people who you, you really don't but, know. But some tribal but connection you f- Yeah, you feel this sound. wonderful connection. Oh, definitely. When you go out to like a big concert or a you know, big outdoor event mm. and the sound's pumping, you're just looking around dancing with all these people. You certainly feel like you're connected. You've never seen yeah. them before in your life, yeah. but you have that sense of connection. And it's a real music. joy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, have you done work looking at what happens, you know, sort of to people's brains, like you know, why we enjoy mu- music, and and because that that has such an emotive effect on people. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really really interesting area, and um, I haven't done research on it, but I've done some sort of theoretical work with I've I've got a, a couple of colleagues um, overseas, they're musicologists, and they and I um, have sort of done some thinking about this and written some stuff and it it is really fascinating there's there's one sort of set of theories that it comes down through the evolutionary line again so um, we probably evolved a whole lot of things to make us enjoy sounds of certain types Mm. and then music kind of has drawn on on that yeah there's also the reverse theory which is that we've had music alongside our evolution for a very long time. We we, we don't really know when first music was created Mm. by, you know, early types of human, but 
there's no reason to suppose it wasn't there for, for, for yeah. many, many um, hundreds of thousands of years. And so it could have also influenced us in the way we evolved. Yeah, well, I think that the, the heartbeat, you know, given that we've, as mammals, we've been gestating inside our mothers for nine months, and I guess you can hear the heartbeat in there pretty well, I imagine. And that's so much music. It's got that 4-4 beat, which has to be based on a heartbeat. Why, why not? Why yeah. not? Well, yeah. well what else would lead to that 4-4 four, four beat being, again, such an emotive thing? You, know, you hear that kick in in some songs, you're just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and our heart rate does entrain, right? It's, yeah. it's As the beat increases, um, our heart's, heart rate does. There's... Yeah, I think you're right, and it's it's just a natural thing. It's it's also interestingly, it's not only humans that appreciate music. Mm. There's been quite a lot of there's interesting work. Um, there's some stuff on uh, cats. Really? Yeah. So they won't appreciate human music. No. But um, some people have tried making cat music. So they they've tried <laughs> they've tried making. Um, sounds, doesn't sound dreadful. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't sound that good to us. But it's like. It's got like purring sounds in it, yeah. and the the kind of sounds cats make when they're happy, mm. uh, in, in it, or when they found food or something. Yeah, perhaps, and you or... know how they purr and they yeah. go, and, and you know, yeah. and and uh, yeah, there's a little bit of evidence showing that cats like it. They'll they'll approach the speaker that's making the sound. They'll rub on it. They'll appear to be happier. So the, it could just be that. Wow. Our music is very human specific, like you're saying. It's tied into physiological aspects of what we like, and maybe because I I always thought, well, you know, I've got a cat. She ignores music if I'm playing music. Makes sense, though. You get the wrong pur- music. purring music because little kittens grow up hearing hearing their mother purring the whole yeah. time. So something that uses that. Wow, I wonder. You know, like you just imagine walking into like a dog bar, <laughs> just the <laughs> raucous music. Well, then maybe I've got it completely wrong. Maybe like dog music is really just serene, chilled out music. Is what dogs really like? I wonder. And, and the dog bar, I imagine it would have like wagging tails yeah. stuck on the walls, and they'd all be like looking at that. And, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally. Um, I I know that I'm. Um, this is going to sound weird, but um, brass, like live brass, trumpets, in particular, and bagpipes will make me tear up. Yeah. With joy. Yeah. It's a sense of joy. Yeah. But I'll you know I'll actually feel like I'm about to cry. Yeah. From that sound. Yeah. That's amazing. It I know what you mean. Mind. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, well, I think I mean yeah, bagpipes are, are a really good example. Uh, people seem to either really like or really hate them. Yeah. But either way. It's emotion, right? Yeah. And I suspect that that sort of hating it thing is that it it's troubling yeah. for people. You know, it, it's yeah. it's they're not used to that feeling of needing to needing to express their emotion in that way, and it's so moving they they kind of don't like it. Yeah, it's, it's, even, I mean, I play guitar, and so I I do love guitar solos. Um, they the the melodic nature of it must do something soothing to your brain, yep. Because you know there's solos from songs that I've heard a million times, but it comes on and I know exactly where it's going to go. But it's not boring me. It's it's somehow reassuring because I yep. know where it's going to go, and it leaves you with this nice uplifting feeling. Yep, absolutely. And and that's that's one of the things of music. You know how music generally has re- repetition mm. in it, and that's what we think is that you you must learn even. On one listening to a song, yeah. you kind of learn what to expect, and because it meets your expectations, by and large, it's it's nice. Yeah. And when it does change, and that's the other thing you get in music is variation. Yeah. It, they, it does it a, a well-written song does it in just such an, a way that you actually enjoy that subtle 
variation, and, and so you, it's sort of, it's like a language. It, it, yeah, maybe that's the that's the um the, the little excitement of surprise there, where yeah. it, oh, it's slightly different here. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't what I was expecting, which is like that often makes you laugh when something like that happens. You're yeah. not expecting it. Yeah, Someone yeah. falls over. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. I shouldn't laugh, but it made me laugh. It was funny. So that's the music true. maybe gives you a little bit of that lift as well when it changes. I think you're right. It's right. one of the funniest things is listening to a badly played song that you know well. It's <laughs> it's hilarious and it's it's basically a musical joke isn't it yeah yeah and actually you know you think of um what were they called um adrian edmondson those english comedians yeah uh bad news do you remember that um that that thing and the young ones yeah yeah and they do oh i can't remember this it's a it's a queen song um (laughs) And it's played so terribly badly, yeah. and they're so proud of themselves for playing it. But it's hilarious to listen to. Ah, funny. It's yeah, it's true. Yeah. So yeah, but I think melodies, um, they do. We our, 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 our minds sort of interact with them, and it's also that conditioning thing again. So you have that idea of uh, knowing, particularly a song you know well. Mm. You know, you've listened to it when you're relaxing quite often, and when you hear it again it does sort of instill in you that nice relaxed feeling because mm. you, you pair in your mind the relaxation with that song yeah. or or an excited feeling. If it's a song you play when you're... Um, Getting ready for sport or yeah. something or, or going out. Driving, yeah. working out. People yeah. people um, often you know listen to music when they're... Bo- boxers, for example, yeah. listen to a particular piece of music while they're practicing their 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 art, yeah. So yeah, it's um it, it's very much part of our same music, I, and I don't think we fully understand it by any means. But there's a huge amount of work going on to try around the world. Yeah, well, it's, it's got to be something you can use to influencing you know mood in certain environments. I'm sure there's plenty of that done in hospitals and things like that. The particular music they play is to just, I suppose, to calm people in a stressful situation. Yeah, uh, ho- hospitals are really interesting. So another area where I've done done some work is what's called soundscapes. And soundscapes are our internal perceptual response to a, a sound environment, basically. And hospitals when you mention that, reminds me of it because often the soundscape in hospitals is pretty bleak. Mm. There's, um, you know, clattering of things and machines going beep, beep and not much else. And of course, the people in the hospital are there to recover from something that's pretty major. And so we are starting to think, you know, that that's something we should do something about because it's it's not ideal. But it's also very hard because sound by its nature, you can't direct it easily. It, it sort of, it, it's just, there are some things in a hospital that make sound and they kind of have to make sound. So um, it's a it's a real challenge for acousticians, you know, the, the people who design the, the rooms and that kind of thing to, to do. And of course, it's, it's expensive as well, which, you know. Maybe the solution is just to have cheap uh, headphones for people and manage the sound they hear through mm-hmm. that. Mm. So like these machines that are going to beep, they're going to beep. But if we have noise cancelling headphones, everyone goes into hospital and they can listen to what they want. And there's yeah. a selection of music available to them. Perhaps maybe that's the way. There you go to to do that. It's like the um, makes me think of the uh, my wife loves these. They are good fun. The silent discos. Yes. Yeah. Thirty people in a room. Everyone's got headphones on. There's about five channels you can choose from. Everyone's rocking out to different tunes. <laughs> what channel are you on? Four? No, no, no. Try channel three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, w- it would work well. We were talking about this. Um, I, I was talking to someone from the Auckland Council about uh, having sound 
installations in the city mm. because it, it's it's quite an interesting thing. Like again, the soundscape in in Auckland's often regarded as a bit boring. They're mostly dominated by traffic. Yeah. If you're in central Auckland, it's just traffic and not much else. And so one of the things people are doing around the world is trying to improve the soundscapes in cities, mm. make them more mm. vibrant, more, more interesting. But as, as she was rightly point, uh, pointing out, if you're near a sound installation, if you're living there, it's, it's really annoying it's because you the get time. the same thing. And I was making that similar argument is you could um, let it, pretty much everyone's got a, a phone and even if they don't have fancy headphones, they've got some sort of headphones that will go with it. So rather than playing it through speakers, Put broadcast it on, on Bluetooth. Put your headphones on and you can then pick up the the Auckland soundscape if you wanted to. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. And as you walk down past this shop, you might get this sound. And as you walk over here, you'll get that, this park, you'll get this sound added into what's there. Yeah, it's a fun idea. Which, and to take your idea before, it opens up an interesting possibility, doesn't it? That we'll gradually just wear things in areas all the time. Yeah. yeah. And we'll be able to control in many ways what we're hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While also being able to get external information yeah, as the little AI decides yeah. it's, we need it. This is interesting. Yeah, this will be useful. Or, or, or there's a, there's a car there's coming. A threat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. Um, that whole idea of being able to, con well, soundscape's a good word for it, but control your, I used to say like your soundtrack. You yeah. Just, you, yeah, you might, yeah, your soundtrack, you walk around. It's just like having headphones on and listening to a predetermined playlist, but mm. having one which was sort of actively being um, chosen for you and, as you say, at times dropping out so you can hear that sort of thing. Is the car coming or whatever or someone, someone's at the door? Yeah, there's a bit, I can see there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity there for some consumer products in well, that space. And it's a thing that we, we think is going to be – good for people as well because one of the issues we've got at the moment is um, when as people lose their hearing and pretty much everyone does starting from about age 30 your hearing starts to deteriorate so those little cells I was talking about before yeah. they start to drop off even if you're not really exposing yourself to loud noise there's other factors to do with aging that just they die off and so because it's so gradual people often are not aware that they're they're losing it because your world just shrinks around you and you don't know yeah yeah. And this is the, the the people around them know because they they struggle to communicate with them. But for for many many people who've got hearing loss, they're simply not aware. They get annoyed with other people because yeah. they are mumbling, yeah. but they they don't realise <laughs> yes, that, that it's them. And so they also don't therefore get treated. Yeah. And we've got reasonably good hearing aids now that that do quite a good job of. Um, Providing information that allows people some access to sound. It's not as good as your naturally is, but it's better than, much better than nothing. But one of the barriers is actually wearing them. Mm. No one wants to get old. Yeah. And, and oh, well, yeah. well, I mean, we sort of do, but we sort of don't. Yeah. And so people don't like the, the look of hearing aids. They don't yeah. want to be seen to be wearing them. Yeah. And so the, the most popular kinds are the very little ones that are harder mm. to see. But, of course, if these things you're talking about these um, earbuds with uh, um, computers in them become the norm. Yeah. That's going to be one big barrier. They're, they're easily accepted now. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm almost surprised that, um, say, 
Apple or Android haven't just sort of open sourced their little proprietary earbuds that you can put them in mm. so that you can say, well, actually, you know what? You can run a little bit of software on there. So you could say, okay, shit, if I've got hearing problems, what I can do is I'll just, it'll just look like I'm listening to my music, mm. but actually these things are going to be picking out the vocal ranges around me and pumping that a little louder so I can hear conversation. And it just looks like I've got my normal headphones in yeah. rather than, oh, you've got a hearing aid. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. And I, I think that the difference between hearing aids and and sort of earbuds is gradually it's, yeah. reducing. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be. But it's interesting you say that change in age. I was out in the backyard the other day on the trampoline with my son. He's seven, and his sister was inside and meant to be having a bath. And like I was, I said to him, I said, "What's Willa doing?" And he cocked his ear and he went, "Oh yeah, she's in the she's in the bath. I can hear the water running." I went, "What? Stop! Can you?" He went, "Yeah." And so I went, hang on, and I really listened, and I think he was right. Like, I think I could just hear the water running. <laughs> but I was like, thinking, wow, his hearing's good, you know, as a kid. that's Because really, he was like, yeah, man, the water's running, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It, eh? Is that something, in, do you, you know, do you know in terms of, because I was talking to Dr. Bronwyn Connor the other day where they're taking skin cells putting them into an, an environment and then training them up to become neural cells of a particular type. And they were trying to deal with issues like Parkinson's, where there's one type of cell that dies off, and if they can produce them and they say reintroduce them, they might be able to address that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could do a similar thing and take cells, turn them into these auditory cilli... Hair cells, yeah. Hair cells, and then re reintroduce them into the cochlea, and suddenly you can hear again. Well, the people have tried. So some species have got the capacity to um, turn supporting cells in the cochlea into new hair cells. Oh, wow. Um, uh, birds, frogs can what? do that. Mammals can't. Ah, fucking mammals uh, are useless. Ah, I know. So what happens with us is when those cells die, they're gone. So our 16,000 I was talking about before, they just gradually get whittled down. There has been work to try to teach mammalian supporting, supporting cells in the inner ear to um, differentiate into wow. hair cells. And it can be done. It's been done in mice. But they can't connect them up to anything yet. So they, they, they'll grow, but they don't work. Ah. Yet. Well, it's a start, though. But it's a start. So That's it could be. I mean, it could be a thing. Before, you you said they sometimes they go dormant or they die. like do this, or they, Not dormant, perhaps. So they, they switch themselves oh, they, off. They, yeah, they'll kill themselves oh, off, yeah. That is death, though, what you meant. Yeah. They, they don't actually have an, like a dormant stage where they've just had enough and they rest and we could maybe reinvigorate them. They actually go, nah, this is it. I'm apoptosing. I'm that's like, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah that, okay. That's exactly the thing. Sorry, I, was, I, don't, I wasn't trying to be patronising. I was... The, Apoptosis and necrosis are the right. two ways that the cells die. Yeah. Apoptosis is the controlled way, yeah. right. which is better. Yep. Necrosis is when they kind of explode and damage the other hair cells around them. and oh. So they try and avoid doing that if right. they can, but sometimes they do, again, if the, if the loud noise is too much. Ah, I see. So what is what is too loud? Like you were saying with 88 decibels or 85 decibels? 85, or? Our workplace... Um, legal exposure is 85 decibels for eight hours over an 85 decibels on average over what, an eight hour period. What is 85 like? Is that a lawnmower? 85 decibels? Yeah, yeah. That's loud. Yeah, it is quite loud. Yeah. I wear heat muffs whenever I mow the lawn, man. Otherwise, you ears ring. It's yeah. too loud. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Um, I mean, it depends on your lawnmower. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are a bit louder than that, be 90, 90 odd decibels. But um, as far as we, so it, it's really tricky 
to know exactly what's causing damage in the ear. We don't have, even our hearing tests aren't that good, right? We, you know that you've probably done a hearing test. You listen yeah. to this little beep and you press a button. Yes. Now, that test won't necessarily pick up if you've lost a few hair cells. Remember I was saying you've got 16,000. Yeah. So, okay, if you lose one, it can still hear yeah. really quite. It's not yeah. going to make any difference. So the, our hearing tests alone aren't that good. However, even with those not very good hearing tests, um, it's still hard to know what... what <laughs> How, how much hearing a person's lost. Most of our data come from samples of people working in factories back in the day when we didn't have hearing protection, so from the early 20th century. Um, and that suggests that even at 85 decibels over eight hours, you're still going to develop a hearing loss over 10 years, something like that. Mm. Um, we, As far as we know, at 70 decibels, which is a little bit louder than we're talking now, um, you can listen to that 24 hours a day and as far as we know that's not going to damage your hearing that's okay. sort of within the physiological range and that's probably normally evolved to handle that sort of yeah. you know, bit of shouting here and there a bit yeah. of normal life wind blowing through the trees yep. gets up to that level and yep. so you're adapted to that but above that yeah. if you listen to it for too long you overdrive your system and, yeah. and it starts to starts to die in those ways we were talking about before so it's hard to be sure if even that might not be causing some sort of mm, harm, because yeah. as I say, the ear is really hard to get at. It's yeah. you know it's tucked away. The actual inner ear it's hidden under our brains, mm. right? It's it's the safest place yeah. in our body. It's so well protected. We still manage to damage it, but it's it's tucked away there. But it means we can't really tell easily what's cause how what a given sound has caused in the way of damage and is it like is it a is it high frequency sound is more damaging than low frequency sound those sort of things yeah, well, but yes and no <laughs> so uh because high frequency sound is by its nature higher higher frequency it's stimulating the cells faster uh, yeah. you'd think maybe it would mm. on the other hand low frequency sound travels better and it has more power in each wave. So for a given level of sound, if it's um, 10,000 hertz, that means the energy is distributed across 10,000 waves yeah. versus 1,000 hertz where the same amount of energy is distributed yeah. across 1,000. So each wave yeah, has got yeah. more power in it. That's yeah, true. Which is why the lower frequencies travel further. So, you know, if you, you are in a big room and there's people talking in the far end, you hear... That's because it's just the low frequency. The bass is travelling. Yeah. And so the the low frequencies actually probably do cause a lot of harm because they've got power in each wave. It's like a big sustained push versus yeah, lots of whack. little ones. Yeah, versus. T -t 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 -t. Yeah. Um, but both of them will cause damage if they're if they're at a high enough level. Yeah. Um, so it's as far as we know, like we tend to lose our hearing in the high frequencies first. Right. And and we think that's probably because of that um, that high rate of activity, snapping the, the ends off the little hairs or something. Like something mechanical is going on, so they can't detect the high frequency it, as well. It is partly snapping the little hairs, but it's also just driving the hair because the you know how I was saying before the, there are those little tip link tip the joints and they yeah. So if they're doing that a thousand times a second, that's stimulating the cell that much. If they're doing it ten thousand times a second, it's stimulating it 10 times more mm. and so it it's driving it faster driving it harder and therefore making it go wrong yeah um and 
I suppose that's why it's the high frequencies that we tend to lose first. Well, I wonder too, again, at the mechanical level, if you're saying you know, between the little hair-like things, there's those little connecting pieces that open up mechanically. Yep. If even you know maybe high frequency causes some of them to break. So yep. the major hairs are okay, but the connections are gone. So now they're not opening these mm. things mechanically. Mm. Staying, so these, yeah, that's the whole mechanical level of cells, as I say. It just does my... It blows my mind. Yeah, and looking it's fascinating to think about, though. It's so it's so nice to think that that's going that's going on in our ears now. Yeah. as we're talking to each other, it's kind of it's kind of beautiful. These the little arrays of cells, and that's just the ears. Like that's just the ears. All the other parts and cells in your body that are just doing these amazing processes with these amazing mechanical components in there, doing things. I was talking to someone the other day about um, bacteriophage. These things are shaped kind of like a three-legged squid and they have this spike in them and I think they, they either at, they attack bacteria or something, but they, it looks like they, they land and then they inject this spike in. It's a, it's a mechanical component, mm. it's a tool mm. and that's going around inside your body doing its jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. crazy. It is pretty incredible. It's, it's really, it's that idea of us as biological machines it's quite a quite a tempting way to think of us i sometimes think it's too tempting because you know we're not just machines but we've definitely we've got these little mechanistic components components. yeah 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 and maybe we are just machines i mean that's the other possibility which we don't like to think about too much but well it's just this is so amazing that you have this dna which gets it into a cell and then RNA, which will take nutrients and components from the cell, run them through, is it ribosomes, whatever they're called, to produce proteins. And these proteins wrap into shapes to build these units. It's incredibly complex. But it is like a little factory, isn't it's it? It's a factory. Mm. Little Those cells are little factories producing yeah. all sorts of different things and doing Jobs like in some cases they're constructing these components which bind parts of the cells together, which allows a process to occur, and then they'll shut down and they'll break that down again. It's just—it's not a simple round ball cell magic energy. No, no, man, it's like work is going on in there all the time. There's absolutely, but but <laughs> then okay. So how how do we get to be your Tim? Yeah, you know your Tim. Oh, the you, conscious. You're not just, you're not just a whole lot of little factories all producing things, right? Yeah. Well, this is, these are some of the questions, aren't they? Do, is this just how our universe is put together, that if you get a whole bunch of little moving components moving together, they generate a consciousness out of like a field in the same way we say a magnetic field is generated. There's a magnetic Mm. field across the universe and Mm -hmm. you can get these, it has a force and an electron field. Maybe there's a consciousness field and for some reason we get them when all these little components get together and wiggle the right way. I don't know. But but what, I mean, that's true. That's an interesting thought, but how, we can't detect it, can we? No. There's a a really interesting guy, um, Donald Hoffman, who has done a heap of work on 
trying to prove that what we see as reality isn't reality. It's what it's not there. And you know, we can we're kind of saying this now. What we what I'm actually looking at now is a whole heap of little cells filled with tiny little machines. But what I see is you and your face and your shirt and your hair. So he's saying that basically we, our brains have evolved these heuristics to enable us to be able to survive. Because if we actually saw what was there and tried to process that, we would get nothing done. Yeah. And so he's done a whole heap of work on on that and modeling that and basically in all of the the models the the animals let's say or the entities that see the universe as it is they die because they're just spending too much time trying to process what things are and they're not actually surviving and able to deal with things heuristically so He's got to a point where he said, yep, we definitely see things like icons. His example is you know, you're on your desktop, on your computer, you've got an envelope, and you know that's an email. He said, but it's not actually an email. There's no email there. What there is is underneath it, there's circuitry of your computer, and there's electrons going backwards and forwards and bits and bytes and resistors and transistors. If you had to think about that every time you mm. wrote an email, you'd never write an email. Mm. But then, so from that, he's then sort of extrapolated out to, he has a, a theory that space-time is not fundamental, mm-hmm. that there is something under that. And what he, he believes it is, is a, a concept of conscious entities and that there is some stacking together of conscious entities with complexity mm-hmm. And that's how we get our consciousness. And I think part of the reason he thinks this is because there are some challenging questions around when people have their brain separated, parts of their brain, and they end up with like two consciousnesses. Mm -hmm. And I think his theory tries to address some of those edge cases as well. It's really interesting. Yeah, It is. And, you know, you were making me think as you were talking about that that idea that he's proposing that if we could see absolutely everything, we, we wouldn't be able to do anything. That's It's essentially getting back to the noise issue. Mm. That it's Our systems are screening out the noise. Yeah. They're, they're taking the key parts. The key signal is this macro entity. Yeah. The noise is all the tiny little bits that I can see at a molecular level. It's yeah. too much. And, and evolution has decided that for us yeah. by letting us survive if we were able to to pick out the the relevant bits this was one of the challenges they had with um like visual ai and like visual um processing and detecting of images is that the computers were just looking at like the, the it was it was give it how do you give yeah. them that level of information like yeah. what level am i looking at am i looking at these trillions of pixels of data i can see or this blob which kind of looks like a person yeah. oh that's the level and somehow they needed to well, I think they would see too well. Basically, they'd see too yeah. well. Yeah, they'd mm. see too well. They'd see you, you, they were seeing the noise rather than the signal mm. in terms of what we're interested in. But then again, it's a challenging thing because it might be most of the time the signal of, that I'm looking at is, is you as this macro entity. I, mm. I keep saying, but then if the detail were like, oh, I want to like look at your your skin or something because you've got a cut or something, yeah. then then I'm going down to another level of detail, and that's again part of this. Um, focus or perception or attention that we have that we're able to leverage to choose what's the noise and what's yeah, the signal yeah. and we must have a set of heuristics that we apply yeah. to, to the the odd image that we we always collect yeah. to allow us to do that and it i suppose we have a sort of a a combined sensorium of of information that brings together what we see and hear and smell and feel mm-hmm. and we always just 
that's how that's our world. That's what, how we imagine the world to be. But as you say, there could be other things going on around us that yeah. we're just simply not aware of. How important do you think hearing is in terms of senses? It's a norm. Like I think one of the interesting things about the sense of hearing and one of the reasons why we tend to undervalue it is that it's always there. So with our, our vision, we, we can simply close our eyes and it goes away. We, yeah. we go to sleep, our vision sort of turns off. But our sense of hearing, it's constantly monitoring. Um, we're wearing these uh, at the moment, so we're, we're, we're not consciously monitoring, we're not un subconsciously monitoring our, our environment. But normally, no matter what you're doing, you're always aware yeah. or subconsciously aware of things that are happening around you. Yeah. And, you know, there's been lots of research into this, this um, idea of the, the auditory scene, it's called. And how we'll be concentrating on what the person in front of us is saying, but as soon as something unusual happens around us, our, our auditory attention can flick, mm. not even within our control, it yeah. just will. And so I, I think that's why we, we tend to just forget that we're here, because it just becomes part of our awareness. Mm. It just becomes part of that consciousness that you're yeah. talking about, and we kind of even though on, on one level, I suppose we must know it is our hearing that's telling us this information, on another level, no, we just think, okay, there's a sound over there, and that's the voice of somebody I know, uh, and we, we just turn without sort of considering that it's the sound. And yeah. therefore, it's related, I think, to that idea that I was describing before of people not valuing their hearing mm. that much. They sort of don't protect it when they can. When, when it does start to go, they don't treat it because they're, they've, they're not aware of it, because it's so pervasive. Yeah, yeah, it's fallen just into the background, just there and assumed. I've thought, I've tried to think, if I had to lose sight or, or hearing, uh, what I would choose. Yeah. And obviously I wouldn't want to lose it either, yeah. but I, I think if it was really that one, it would be a tough decision. I know that vision, you just don't want to let go of that, because it get the, vision and your mobility are tied together. Mm. If you can't see, it's very easy. It's very hard to be mobile. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying before, I, I, I can't really think of, and I might just not be thinking of them, I can't really think of scenes that I look at them and they're emotive and make me cry with joy. But I can hear a live trumpet on this plate on the street well, and that will make me mm. you know, feel that joy. And you almost wonder, do you want to get the rest of your life with never hearing a song again? Oh. You're making me think of, uh, you know, do you know that uh, reasonably famous woman, Helen Keller, who yes. lost her vision and hearing? Yes. Did, uh, she, did she lose them or was yeah. she born without them? No, because she, she had them because she was able to learn to communicate yeah. um, through early in her life, yeah. and then they, they went away. Mm. And she made this interesting comment that losing your vision takes you, you I can't remember, I have to paraphrase, but yeah. loss of vision uh, cuts you off from things. Loss of hearing cuts you off from people. people. Mm, that's the thing, the mobility thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's really interesting. One of the um, it, groups of people who I, I, I really admire are the, the deaf community, deaf culture, yeah. where they, they have a, um, a, a, a true culture in, in its own right. Yeah. And of course, a language, a visual language, yeah. sign language. And I haven't had a great deal to do with them, but I learned some basic sign language and I've, I've you know, sort of had a, a, a few friends who, who are deaf. And it, one of the nice things I really like is the intensity of interaction 
Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard them say that, you know, um, hearing people are very kind of cut off yeah. from each cut off from each other versus signing people who are they're always well, like they're focused. engaged well, and, the, we, yeah. we, we are they, 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 you need to be very focused if we're deaf and we're communicating visually we need to be looking right here whereas if we're both hearing I can be over here talking something and I can still be talking to you that's true I don't need to be yeah. focused on you in the same way That that's true that, I think always in, I don't need to be as engaged with you in the same way yeah maybe that's true yeah 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 and it, we also you know, as we're talking to each other, our faces are showing some expression, as yeah. we we think, but not as much as in in sign language. Your facial expression plays a huge role yeah. in the language itself, yeah. and so it kind of gives a more, I suppose, intense emotional experience, which which is interesting because it's it's visual. Well, that's I think it was very hard for people during COVID with masks. They could no longer read lips and see people's mouths to it's pick true. up on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a that that was an interesting experience with the COVID and um losing Damn. that information. You you sort of learned to judge by the what eyes. people are doing by their eyes a little bit, but yeah, yeah it's tricky. Here um the ability to hear and speak Speech is really well connected. I, I know a couple of people who have, you know, I would say tiny, tiny like speech issues. Um, and I'm sure it's from hearing when they were young, oh, yeah. not hearing well. And it was making me think about um, a cool app that you could make for people who have who, who are deaf, people who are deaf but can speak. Because often when they speak, you can tell that they're deaf because they're, yeah. they're unable to get the feedback to, yeah. to, to, to modulate and change pitch and mouth sounds and all yeah. that sort of thing. But I was thinking what you could do now is they could just have a phone app where it picks up on their voice and if it recognises that you know something, the high frequency is not quite right or something, you could visually give them like an aura or something like if it, you know, it's if it's all green in a circle, you've got it all right. If it's not green at the top, oh, you need to push your tongue up or something yeah. like that. You could, yeah. you yeah. could, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's an interesting thing that that feedback um, that we we normally get all the time from our, from our voices, we we get it in quite an interesting way at the moment. We, 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 when we're talking, we um, uh, it's a little bit different because we're wearing these. But usually, when you're talking, you, you you're getting a lot of the information transmitted through the bone of your skull mm. from your from your voice. Whereas when you hear a recording of yourself, oh, it sounds, it different. sounds quite, quite different and people feel uncomfortable because yeah. their voices seem to have too much squeakiness to them and yeah. they, they think, oh, what's going on? And so, so I, what do I really sound like a shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's just, I think it's just, it's just, you know, that's how everybody sounds and it's just, it's different from what you expect. Yes. It's, it breaches your assumptions about the world. The, the real tricky thing is if you've got some set up with microphones, and you get feedback of your voice coming back to you, like just 150 milliseconds out, it just stops your brain. You can't speak. Oh, yeah. It, it confuses yeah. it. You hear yourself, and you just cannot stop thinking about your voice. Yeah. I, I, you occasionally get that on telephones, right, yeah. where, where you get that sort of echo, and it's like, yeah, very, very <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. Our voices are um, sort of, they're very personal, right? We're really good at recognizing other people's mm. voices. It's it's like a oh, um, a face. The brain in mm. that oral yeah, or, or, oral uh, capability. Um, like this, yeah, the, thinking about this blew me away a few years ago when things like uh, apps like Shazam came out, mm-hmm. you know, and Shazam, oh, it's able to hear the first few notes of a song and pick it, tell you what that song it is. Like my brain can pick it out a lot quicker than Shazam can. 
And that's amazing. Yeah. You yeah, yeah. A note, and it's like, ah, oh, it's the start of a sweet child of mine. <laughs> yeah, <know>? absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I used to have a friend who could do it. It was amazing. She was just, like, incredibly gifted at that. Yeah. Pretty much any song, one note, she yeah. seemed to know what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Whoa. That is, that is cool. Mm. Oh, I, what's cool is people, um, people with perfect pitch and be, uh, I, I have a friend and you, know, you could you could play a, like a chord like a like a fourth and she go that's a fourth like, mm. that, oh that's a fifth mm. yeah oh yeah that's a minor something I was like fuck off how do yeah. you do that I just that that would be like seeing everything as kind of blurry greys and some people can see the colours you know like they yeah. they can just they can hear it perfectly I saw a girl on YouTube. And she had perfect pitch, and they were doing stuff like um, the microwave. Deep, deep. She got that's a B flat. <laughs> <laughs> like the car, the car cleared. Beep, beep. Yep, no, that's a that's a C. <laughs> just, wow. Yeah. yeah, scary. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I learned a bit about pitch the other day, um, and I, I just, it's something I hadn't really read into before, but um, I was doing some work with this um, um, musicologist. And he showed me this paper uh, that other species don't necessarily detect pitch in the way that we do. Oh. I'd always assumed that pitch is just a, a, a sort of a, a translation of frequency of sound into a, an awareness of the frequency. But um, but no, so you know how in humans we can recognise a melody if it's transposed? Yes. Some species, uh, other species can't necessarily do that. Oh, they've lost it. They don't know it's that same melody anymore. Yeah, they the don't, yeah, frequency's they, different. they don't hear it. So they're not hearing pitch like we hear pitch they're wow. they're, they're recognizing other aspects so yeah. this is um this paper, particular paper i read was in starlings who there's been quite a lot of work done on their song mm. and so they you know they sing they obviously know about music yeah. in a way but they're recognizing different aspects they're rec- recognizing like the the spectral content of the sound rather than the what we think of as like notes or pitch so it's yeah. it, it's amazing what are actually human things versus what are just general general processing things that anyone would do with sound. I suppose that goes back to what you were saying before about what was relevant to, to us versus yeah, Starlings. What's relevant to Starlings, yeah. Well it must be. That's why they've yeah. adapted that way. Yeah. I remember once I I wake up He's living in a house, and right next to the bedroom window was a big tree, and it would be full of sparrows. And so like dusk, just noise, and at dawn, yeah. crazy noises are all waking up. But I remember being in this half-awake dream state and waking up and hearing all the sparrows just yabbering away to one another. But in my dream state, I could hear what they were saying. Like it was just, I was totally like, you oh, could yeah. understand like I could understand it. So they were talking to each other, like, yeah, they were hey, talking, man, they were talking we to do? each other. Yeah. And I thought about it. I was like, I wasn't actually hearing them saying, hey, Gary, how are you? But it was, I could, I felt as though I could understand what they were saying. And I'm sure it was like a, it was a, a pitch thing or something I was picking up on. I wasn't, they weren't saying words, of course, but I had that real sense as I was in this different altered dreams sort of state that, yeah. It was, this was making sense, I suppose. Yeah, weird. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I suppose it was your, your brain trying to make sense of this um, this r- little random random sound maybe, partly? Yeah, maybe it was like I was picking up on lots of repeated sounds from this one to that one and mm. that one to that one. So I was like, oh, okay, the, maybe my brain was thinking, yeah, well, that's, that's, maybe that's a hello. Oh, yeah, that's a hello. That seems to make sense as a hello or... Yeah. I don't, yeah. It, I remember doing um, a, a study many years ago, and we were it was a laboratory thing, and we had we were playing just white noise to people, 
um, th- through one ear, and we were getting to do a, a listening task in the other ear, and we were studying the interaction between the ears. But a couple of people said after the they'd been you know participants in the experiment, they said, "I know what you were up to," and I was like, "What, you, what do you mean?" And that I could hear the words, and I was like. <laughs> No, there were there what were no words. words. Yeah. And there were no words. But yes, what they'd done we've created a detection for schizophrenia. No, 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 no. I think it's just natural. I think it's just the human auditory system taking this random stuff and, and makes finding things in it. Fills in gaps and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we see faces in clouds. That's it. We're looking the prime. Those heuristics are looking at noise and going, well, it's good to see a face or it's good to hear words. They're important. Yeah. So it's making them up. Um, I had a big weekend a few years ago. I hadn't slept for a couple of days and it was like getting up to the third day of no sleep. And I remember walking around the house going, mm, someone's left a radio on. I don't have a radio. What's going on? <laughs> and it was the fish tank. The little blah, 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 the blah, fish bu- were singing. To no, you. no, no, no. But it was the, the water bubbling in yeah. the in the fish tank yep. filter. Just sounded like distant voices on a really soft radio somewhere. Like I was, I couldn't make out the words, but someone was speaking. Is what it sounded like. And I think it was exactly that. The, the brain was tired, and for whatever reason, it was now really working on the. What's going on? Oh, that sounds like voices, but it wasn't voices. It was trying to heuristically pattern yeah. match some sound. So they thought that you guys were playing them subliminal oh, messages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, which indeed we went. Your, your comment about your, your fish tank singing to you reminded me of uh, a friend of mine telling me the story. He's uh, got quite a significant hearing loss. And he, he said he one day heard he didn't have hearing aids in at the time. He usually wears them. And he, he one day heard this amazing music, like this absolutely sort of celestial music that he, you know, doesn't know how or what it was, but it's like a, a, a some sort of auditory his, hallucination, I suppose. His mind yeah. making the sound. And it's it's a fascinating there's a there's a whole um, area of auditory hallucinations that not nothing to do with psychosis, schizophrenia. It's yeah. just people with hearing loss quite a high proportion of them mm. will hear things which are just the normal workings of the auditory system trying to piece together the the fragments of information that are coming in well, well, I wonder if it's like um the, the the phantom pain and things like I could I was telling someone my grandfather chopped his finger off yes. when he's about 30 but I've saw remember seeing him sometimes he would be doing like this he would be he would just be scratching the end of his non-existent finger, yeah. and he'd be, he, he'd be subconsciously. It was like it was itching yeah. him, and then he'd finish. Yeah, yeah. well, so. yeah. I mean, that, I think that's a. So, um, you know that concept of tinnitus. Mm. Um, we think that is very much related to to the phantom limb phenomenon. Oh, is, is that because there's there's missing those cells have died, and that's the yeah yeah, yeah that's exactly it. The, right. the in the same way that with a with a loss of a finger, yeah. you've you've got. Um, got a men- mental map of it and something. Pa- yeah, part of your brain is yeah. still connected to the to to that where those cells used to be. Yeah, and so that part of your brain kind of becomes hyperactive because it's not getting stimulated. stimulated. So this is like sensory deprivation. You stick people in a room. Like that's why people don't like going into solitary confinement and they start to hear things because there's nothing coming in. So the brain's somehow creating the stimulus. That's it. That's absolutely it. Yeah. Have you ever been in the anechoic chamber? No, I'd love to. I'd love to check it out. Oh, we should. Go. There's a, a chap called George Dodd, wonderful man, 
who he's kind of runs the anechoic chamber at Auckland University. I'd love to. Man. Should, I'm sure I could get you in there. Oh yeah, sweet. Yeah, Let's we should it. go. Let's do it's it. um it's an amazing experience, and if if you're really good, he'll turn the lights off too, and so you're just standing there with pretty close to sensory deprivation. It's amazing. I have heard that some people just cannot handle those rooms. It, it's pretty weird. Yeah. It is quite weird being in there, and it's so it's a huge concrete box, um, really thick, heavy walls, so the sound just can't get through them. Mm-hmm. It's lined on the inside with these like um, cones almost of of foam. Yes. And you, when you walk in there, you're suspended on a wire floor because of the floor and the ceiling and the walls are all these co- oh, all these yeah. cones. And so it's um, yeah, just completely silent, completely dark. And when you do make a sound, it just goes. I'm going naked, so my clothes aren't rustling. <laughs> Get the, a photo of that. The, it's. It, it's true. The, the, they've also got a reverberative chamber, and so the, um, the oh, it's, it's like, like the all hard walls. Yeah, everything's just, hard. None of the walls are parallel, so the sound won't cancel itself out. And George was saying that that that's that's the thing. They they'll you know ideally you're also naked when you're in there, so that your clothes don't absorb any of the sound. So it's it's kind of the same same idea. But yeah, going in with I suppose you should wear. Like a a big puffer jacket or something, something when you did go something in. soft, a woolen suit or something, yeah, soft, yeah, yeah. deadening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I saw a, a, a not an article, a video on some people who'd put themselves into an underground pit for 20, 48 hours as a bit of an experiment. Just to see, yeah. Just to see. Yep. And maybe it was 72 hours. And they ha- they hated it. And a few of them bailed. They were like, no, I cannot handle it. Yeah, they were freaking out. Like they thought there was something there. It was in the dark. They thought there's something in here. Get me out of here. There's nothing in there. But your brain it's getting yourself nervous, can't handle it. But those who did do it, when they walked out, they were just blown away by the gorgeousness yeah. of the world. Like, honestly, yeah. they were stunned. Like, those trees, they're amazing. The sunlight, oh, the grass. Like, wow. Because they're getting these yeah. senses in now yeah. and everything had been, I guess, moderated down. We're not getting any senses. Okay, we don't need to be dealing it. Suddenly it was like everything was turned up. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really nice, actually. It's almost it's, worth doing it, isn't it? It sounds like it would be a fun thing to do if you could handle what seemed – because it was real. they weren't talking to you. You had to do this on your own. So there was – if you got the shakes, you're like, was that a sound there beside me? Is there something in here mm. with me? Oh, fuck, let me out. It, yeah, of course. You couldn't get yeah. any help. If you bailed, you bailed. Yeah. But if you stuck it out, if you could, which I think that in itself would be a real challenge. Would you be able to stick it out? I know myself. I reckon I'd struggle. I'd be like, there's fucking a spider behind me. I know there is. <laughs> so it, it's just a dark chamber. Yeah. It's just uh, a, this um, is just a room with a bed. Okay. Basically, okay. is what they were in. Yeah. yeah. But there was, again, I think it was like a concrete bunker underground. So yep. it, was very, it was just silent. Yeah. There was no light. And no devices to get any sort of... Nothing. So, but camera, infrared camera, I think okay. filming them so yeah. they, they could be seen yeah. and their microphone, you could hear them. So if they started to freak out, they'd like, the door's opening, come out, it's okay, it's okay, you know. Yeah. But otherwise, it was just nothing. So yeah, so a lift alone with your own thoughts as well. That's, um, you know, that's yeah. a, that's a regarded as a punishment, isn't yeah. it? A, a solitary confinement. Solitary confinement. No one wants to go in the hole. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's it would be an interesting experiment. It would be. It might be quite tough. You'd want to be in the right sort of headspace before you went in, I think, wouldn't you? Yeah, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's um, like those um, floating uh, floating chambers. What are they? Oh, yeah, I know. Um, 
you know what I mean? Sensory isolation tanks. tanks. Yeah. 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 That, which, again, I think people think are really good for a period of time, like for half an hour or an hour yeah. or something yeah. there. But if you're locked in there for three days... I yeah, I've never been in one. I don't know no, what it'd be like. You should find one of those and <gasps> give it a go. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah, because I think in the in the really good ones, don't you float in salt water? Yes. And then Body what, temperature. Body temperature, yeah. so you don't even feel the water around you. Yeah. Which is like the interesting thing I heard the other day too, is that humans can't detect wetness. So when we put our hand into water and we say, oh, that's wet, mm. what we're actually detecting is the temperature change and the density change. Yeah. But some insects can actually detect moisture ah, and yeah. we can't. Yeah. yeah, we're not actually detecting moisture. We, we might be able to smell it. You can yeah. sm- smell oh, yeah. dampness, yes. I suppose. Yeah. But in terms of, I think, like, uh, but yeah. sensory touching, yeah, you can't yeah. detect no, it. No. Yeah. No, our, our, um, all of us, I've always been interested in, I'm talking too loud, am I, when it crackles like that? Oh, yeah, it's in our ears, though. It doesn't come across over oh, here. Okay. It's good for us if we know. I just need to adjust this. I think probably turn it down a little bit, and it's probably not so bad. Oh, okay. Go. Sorry about that. Um, but, okay. yeah, sensory um, things are always fascinating, and the the, the skin sensors... You know they're 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 amazing. The we, we, the temperature sensors they're just they they don't go. It's not like we've got one thermometer in our skin that goes from cold to hot. It's yeah. like there's different types of um, sensory of temperature responses that reflect the the temperature differential between inside uh, our body and and, and outside. outside. And so they don't. Um, it's it's one of the re- reasons why we we sometimes aren't quite sure whether something's really hot, hot or, or really cold, cold, that kind of thing. It's, it's amazing, it's, and it goes back to what you were saying before about w- what was deemed by the evolutionary process important enough to uh, yeah to, to grow capability to be able to detect that worked out well when detecting it. Yeah. The other really interesting thing is synesthesia. Yeah, you know, I, I've had one. Example of it in my life. Well, I think it wasn't really it, but I was driving with my parents when I was about 15 years old, four hour drive out to my cousin's farm, just mm-hmm. just driving in Australia in summertime, like dozing off in the back of the car, almost asleep, but not asleep. So it wasn't really synesthesia, but it was kind of like it, I think. And I was listening to Bon Jovi and it was some guitar solo, but in my daydreaming mind's eye, I could see like colourful streaks going kind of through the sky, which were the notes. Ah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Like I was hearing it, but yeah. I was, so in a way I was also seeing it. Yes, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Ah, I've ne- as far as I know, I can't recall any real synesthesia experience of my own. Mm. But yeah, I've certainly read about it and it, it's, it's really interesting. Eh? Yeah. People see, the people who experience it, you know, a lot yeah. seemed really sure. Like that, that smell is definitely orange. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's quite fascinating. There was um, uh, a series of like documentaries on um, idiot savants. Oh yeah, and this guy who just had incredible mathematical capability. This is you know, like lots of one million two hundred seventy six divided by three hundred twenty two point eight. Yeah, seventeen point five. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he would see numbers like when they'd ask him, like, "Well, tell us." And he's like, "Well, rain. Oh, rain is like a thirty-seven, and mm. like he could correspond nature and things to numbers. And this here, oh, well, well this is like a twenty-four. Feeling right. this felt is twenty-four. Yeah. yeah, and and that somehow was how he was able to master numbers so well. 
yeah, that I mean that's fascinating. The, the the concept of mathematical descriptions of the world being you know being the world, and we were, we were talking before before we started about artificial intelligence and how it interprets mm. like huge data sets, yeah. and you were describing it as the experience yeah. that it has being multiple that of that of any human being, and of course. It's that experience, but it's that experience turned into numbers. Mm. That's what it's basing its decisions on. Yeah, is I suppose binary um, encoding of the, all that information. It's yeah, I guess it is turning into numbers. That's at a at a basic level it, that is. And so um, I wonder if you, you were talking about the this um, chap who assigned a number to, and and reliably right. assigned a number to different sensory experiences. I suppose. I mean, is is that what is that what he's doing? Is he doing something a little bit like? Is he thinking a little bit like a, an artificial intelligence might think? Maybe, maybe. Or am I drawing too long? A... I don't know. I I I feel I feel like in a way it's like synesthetic. It's I feel like it's he's got a sense for numbers. Is how I was seeing it, but which which maybe is that exactly what you're saying is happening is that he's able to transfer the sense of the sound and sight of rain into some into a number. Yeah. But it was like he just had a sense for numbers and that allowed him to manipulate objects in a different way to the way that we do. It'd be really interesting to get his whole, you know, to give him lots of things. And map it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, yeah. see, are there other things that have number there's, 27? And There's, there's mm. that co- design concept of K- Kiki and Bobo, something like that. I don't that. know this. So K- Kiki, like the Kiki is, is sharp. If you think of the word Kiki, it's yep. sharp. If you were yep. to draw it, you draw it as like a couple of sharp points. And Bobo is like, Round, round, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 Yep. So, and whether that's maybe it's not kicking Bobo, but there's if you Google it, it's similar yeah, to that. Something like that. Yeah. And that's where I wonder if he's got a very heightened sense of that in that yeah. r- transferred onto numbers. Yeah. Whereas I'm saying, okay, this this word is a sharp word, yeah. or a round, fluffy, soft word. He's able to see, say, well, that rain is this number. Somehow yeah. he's got some mapping going on there, and how that helps him to. To calculate numbers, I, I don't know. Or is it that his his mind is so obsessed with numbers that everything is gets interpreted in that way? Yeah, the the, the savants, that that mental ability is just amazing with some yeah. of them. You know, the guy who they take up in a helicopter, fly him for forty minutes around a city, and then sit him down with a massive piece of board and a pen, and from memory, draw it. he just draws the whole city. And you know, we and he'll you know, draw he'll draw what you could see out to the depth of his perception. He'll draw it all, and you'll he'll draw a building over here which has got fifteen windows, except on the thirty seventh floor, one of the windows was open. You go back to the footage. Oh my god, he got it right! And just the memory is amazing. Yeah. How, how does he how does he generate that short term memory so quickly, so accurately when we struggle? But for I guess for him, somehow he's saying to the brain, well. That's not noise. If we fly around in a helicopter and we look at the city, we might go, oh, there was the, there's the Arc de Triomphe and the yeah. Eiffel Tower. I could draw them because yeah. that wasn't noise. Yeah. But for him, somehow he's able to drop it down to a level and all of this stuff isn't noise. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And so because uh, th- that term idiot savant, it, it implies that they're also not very good at doing some stuff, right? 
So mm. did, did they? Did he, he like really struggle in yeah, other ways? Yeah, yeah. Most most of these people in this documentary series did. You know, you you would say that in a social setting they would struggle. Yeah, with things, but in their domain, they were masters. So is that that thing that we we devote? Most people devote so much of their processing capacity to social interactions. Yeah, and that's why we're able to. Today's the first time we met, yeah. but we've. We get on well. We, we, it's, it's kind of we can have this conversation. We can interact really mm. easily because yep. socially we're quite capable in that respect. But in terms of working out the square root of seven hundred twenty-three, yeah, yeah. screwed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I'm thinking. You know, because that concept of artificial intelligence is really fascinating and and you know slightly terrifying for for most people. Yeah. That the idea that we we may be going down the track of building something that thinks in some ways better than we do, and how trying to understand how it thinks this this is this is interesting because I've, I've, I've thought about this a bit so when you look at things like chat gpt so there's chat gpt3 or chat gp3 which is the current version that's been out and four is coming out mm-hmm. um three was trained on a limited data set up until 2021 they gave it some access to um, let's just say the internet mm. but it was restricted access yeah. gpt4 has been given much more wider access now and this is where I could be wrong, I could be wrong because, like we said earlier, with our consciousness, you know, if you get a bunch of little machines together, maybe they generate a consciousness. If you get a bunch of uh, virtual neural or neurons together, enough of them, maybe they form a consciousness. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But if they don't, I don't think that that's a great concern. What I think you will see is that it will effectively be like. Let's say we're talking about the field of, let's say maths again. You and I, we're a regular person in terms of mathematical experience and wisdom. Chat GPT, because it's been given access to a whole heap of mathematical information, can pull mm-hmm. it together and digest it. It's, it's wiser or it's more experienced than maths. Chat GPT 4 is going to be more experienced than that. But I don't think they are thinking. I yeah. think I think they're able to draw upon a database yeah. of knowledge, like like we was, we were talking before about people looking at moles and pictures of skin to determine which things would be cancerous. So I think that ChatGPT four will be more likely to correctly guess that this one sure. is, but I don't think that it's going to go. You know what? I'm going to tell them that this one is when it's not, just because I want to fuck with them because it's conscious and is thinking. Yeah, but what about five and six? Well, <laughs> again, I think they're going to be a growth in experience. Sure. I, I, th- I think that something else needs to happen for them to think. I think there's some, some things that might be missing. Hmm. Maybe, and again, this might just be a, a, a question of scale. But like our attention. Is, is a key thing, which I don't know that those neural models replicate. They're asked a question, like you type in, tell me this. And in one respect, it's like it's like Google. It goes out, it gives you a heap of results, except it doesn't give you a heap of results. It actually collates the results mm. into what it thinks is the best result for you. Um, and it expresses it in a way that 
people will read and will like to read. So you could almost call that its social skills. Yes, it's got social skills. Yes, I, I think it has it definitely has social skills in that in that respect in the way it responds, and particularly like the way I have used it is I've specifically asked it to rewrite this paragraph of text in a more engaging manner. And it does. It comes back. It's like, that's really well-written marketing speak. You know, it makes me want to buy that thing. So it has that, that social skill, but it, it doesn't have, it just, it's sitting there dormant at this stage. And you ask it and it replies with a condensed response based upon a lot of learning. But it doesn't have a focus or an attention. Have you seen any of that um, computer-generated art or poetry? Yes, yes. It's, that's quite weird, isn't it? Yeah. And it's it, it's sort of aping or it seems to be sort of aping what it, it's seen as art. But so, so this this is why I was saying oh, I could be wrong here. And the, the, AI, um, the AI art is a really good example of this. So... With AI art, you can ask it, say, paint me a scene of two men sitting down having a podcast. And it'll do, give us something along these lines. But what it will do without being told anything about the way to calculate it is it will choose where a light source is and it will get it correct. You know, like it'll, have, it'll assume a light here and the light will come from this way. It won't get it all mixed up. Mm. But the reason it's doing that is because all of the images that it's looking at have a light source in one area and therefore the light is correctly shown. And so it's picking up and it's using that and modeling it. But if you push that far enough, if you push that out to the extreme, then it almost gets to the point where maybe it is capable of going that step further. I just, I just don't know. I don't think it is. I think, <laughs> I think the thing that lets us think and focus, and like we say, I'm looking at you and I'm talking to you, but actually I'm listening to that sound I heard over there because I've kind of split my focus. I don't think that the, these AI systems have that ability yet. They're, they're a machine to take a particular type of input and give a particular type of output. Yeah. We're capable of doing that, but we're also capable of doing a whole heap of other thinking around that. Sort of like, playing with the idea more. Yeah, yep. you know, like I could be completely subversive where I'm I'm writing down in school, I'm writing down what you're saying, but what I'm thinking about is completely different. Or you know, that's, Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. That what Because, of course, the, you could take it a step further and say, okay, chat GPT-10, it can it can behave as though it is doing that. Yeah. And then then what do you do once you, once you can't tell the difference? Yes, that, and that's the thing from that example of like looking at where the light's coming from. Where if it's good enough that it's and you just ask it to go. Well, now I'm not just going to ask you one question. Now I'm going to ask you to go and you know just continuously talk to people. If any you know something, mm. yeah, maybe it's at that point where it's it's difficult for us to tell it apart. But again, it may still just be a replica. It's like a dead simile of a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like that. But, you know, if, if that idea of consciousness arising in some way that we don't understand yeah. from the complexity. Maybe that's it. Yeah, that's right. That, and that's the, that's the risk. That's the big risk. If it is, and ChatGP20 comes along and suddenly it's, it thinks. And it does. It really, it really thinks. It's not us saying, "Oh, it's just we think it's thinking." No, it's actually thinking. It's conscious. It's just but, like us. But we won't know. Yeah, it's just that instead of being a 
like you know carbon-based consciousness it's a silicon-based consciousness yes yeah. it'll it'll be a real ethical or, a virtu- or even more it's a virtual consciousness because yeah. my, you know because effectively we're replicating neurons virtually in these models that we're building so maybe it's a v- virtual consciousness but it's conscious but just in a different way from i mean that's yeah. the other side of it is is it going to be if it is, if it if it does achieve consciousness, is it going to be conscious in the sort of way that a human being is? I don't think it will. Well, no, that's a good question. Or maybe it will be like those savants you're talking about, yeah, or something like that. You yeah. know, where it's human, but it's an unusual type of human. Well, they, I mean, it might be because it's we're modelling a brain. Those AI models, we're we're, we're kind of modelling. Well, they're, neur- they're neurons yeah. is what we're basing yeah. it on. They're, they're connected together, yeah. True. and they're. They're trying to. They're taking an input, and they're trying to then balance weights and learn to be able to reproduce. And but instead of the sensory apparatus that we kind of got here through, and and what we've evolved as our sensory apparatus, we're feeding it the internet. Yes, as as it's as it senses, if you like. Yeah. So it's there's a human element to it, but it's also you know quite different. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it is. So that's to your, to your question. Would it respond in the way that a human does, or think in the way that a human does? I think in some it will be influenced in some ways. It will because the we're giving it human writing, we're giving it human mm. art, we're yep. giving it human music. So yep. these things it will take on and be able to reproduce like a human. But it doesn't have ears. Or well, maybe you know, it does. Maybe we'll build it so it does have ears to some extent. It doesn't have touch. It doesn't have taste. So some of these senses it still doesn't have, it may struggle to be able to really yeah, appreciate. Well, I don't know. But could we give it, I mean, if we did want to, I suppose we could try to give it electronic facsimiles of all of yeah. those things. Yeah. Sensing different chemicals, different yeah. pressure and temperature, and well, I guess in 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 some respects we already have, haven't we? And the the music we're giving it is effectively it's hearing something. It's just that it was something that it heard in the past and has been fed to it now because it's, yeah. it's if it's interpreting it as a sound, then that's like it hearing it. I suppose for it though, there's no difference between a recording of a piece of music that it's been fed that was recorded who who knows how long ago, yeah. and it. It immediately hearing that same piece of music being played. No, that's that's right. Will it get the joy? Will it get the mm. like the sense of joy that we get from hearing something? That's a that's a good test. How do you measure joy? How do you measure joy? Yeah, but that would be a possible test. But then again, maybe not. Some people don't. I talk to some people. They hear the same trumpet I hear on the street, and they're and like, I don't care about it. Yeah, and I'm. <laughs> so fucking beautiful, man. <laughs> Whereas the, maybe the computer be like, oh, I don't care about trumpet, but you pay me some saxophone. Jesus, you know. Well, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Will it have a personality? Oh, yeah. This has got to be the next step, though, in terms of personal assistance, like Siri and that. You yeah. Know, they're so um, they're so stilted now. Oh, they're, they're, still, they're, they're still yeah. they're so one question. Mm. Okay, no context about what we've been talking about. N- no humour and interaction. Pretty. Uh, Pretty soon they've got to get to the point where it's like you ask it a question. It's like, are you asking me this again? Are we still doing this thing at four o'clock? And value having a real conversation where it's it, again, it's some it's replicating some conscious entity which has a personality which exists within its own right and has an ongoing relationship with you. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's that idea of those androids that you know people pe- you see in science fiction films or whatever, yeah. where it, it is just like a, just like a person of sorts. Yeah, I. I It'll be really interesting. I mean, it, I think it's, you know, something like that is probably happening. Like chat GPT, yeah. or, or what did you call it? Chat GP. 
Or four. four. Oh, yeah, something. That, yeah. Um, it, it's it's already scarily good. Yeah. And, you know, that, that happened fast. Yeah, yeah, even real fast. Oh, there will be. Um, I, in here a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Olaf Deagle. He's got a 3D printed sort of soft mask of his face. Yeah. It looks just like his face. It tricks his phone to opening up. Right. Yeah. So... It won't be too long where you'll be 3D printing skin. It looks perfectly human. You'll have ChatGPT in the background talking. Excellent. We'll get the motor control going. Yeah. It'll be condensed down to the power unit. will fit inside a human body. You've, yeah, give it up 10 years. We'll have some pretty cool-looking androids. And unless some of the videos I'm seeing from Boston Dynamics are faked, I'm sure I know some of them are, but some of them that I think aren't, the motor control that they're getting now is pretty good. Jumping, doing backflips and that sort of thing. Wow. So so we could start making our own a little Android of ourselves and sending it to work for us and we'll just yeah. sit around and drink gin and tonics all yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. <gasps> yeah. Bonus. Well, you, you, some professions already will. There was a tweet I saw yesterday. Are these 10 professions, I think they asked ChatGPT, what 10 professions do you think you'll be able to eradicate? Oh, no. It was like, well copywriters, marketers, all of these sort of things. We're just picking them off. It's like, this is, this is shit I can do now. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, I mean, eh? It's not good for those people, but... Or is it? Well, Maybe it is. I mean, because if it can true. if it can take over all that stuff, yeah. those guys can do something even more creative and, and or, cool. Or, oh, shit. Sorry. Or what it might be is like the way that I'm using it is that I ask it for something and it's 80% really good but it needs yeah. me to go and tweak the 20% to make it specific to this application or yeah. this work or this yeah. domain. And so, yeah, maybe it's a great productivity tool and those marketers will now get through 10 times as much work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and be able to concentrate on that 20% that's actually the hard part. Yeah. 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 But like we were saying before, though, universities, it's you know, a challenge. And Well, is it a challenge? Should you let people use it? Do you let people use Google to study and find information? Mm. Should we not let them use Google to condense that down into a best response for them? Well, yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, I mean, obviously we're going to have to learn to deal with it in some way. Mm. One of the problems with university allowing university students to use it is that a, a lot of what we're doing when we test is not only to um, you know sort of encourage the the to test the person to make sure that they've learned the stuff which is one side of it but also to encourage people to learn mm, like yes. you know what it's like you, you take an yeah. interest in some topic yeah. you go and get get a download a, a book or something about it and read it for a while but then you get bored yeah if you've got an exam coming up at the end of the month, you, you read the book. Yeah. And if people can just type in to some AI, write me an essay about the inner ear, that, and that, that doesn't... Then, then they haven't learned. They, they haven't learned. They are, AI has learned, but they haven't learned. That's right. And so it, I suppose that's a problem because it, if especially it, it makes it hard for us to discriminate between... The, a weaker student or a person who just wants to get a bit of paper to get a job and, and therefore would be really bad at the job when they got it from a, a really good student who wants to study and wants to learn. So like I was saying, perhaps it needs to be turned around and now you leverage the ability, the massive scale ability of AI to do the testing for yeah, you. Yeah, because that's, th that's one of the problems with, with university teaching. If you've got a class with 100 students in it, yeah. It takes a long time with extremely expert people who've you know done 
20 years of training yeah. to mark all these essays that you're, you're using. So why not ask ChatGPT, ChatGP10 to decide if, if, it, if it wants to. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> to they, decide on the, the appropriate level of that student. You could, you, you could, I think you could easily do that where mm. you just say to the student, okay, you, you, you need to submit your um, result, but we actually want you to talk about it. Mm. And so you just have a Skype session with our bot and you talk about it. It'll ask you some questions and you respond to it in real time and it'll make a call as to whether you passed or failed. But of course, the student will have replaced themselves with their their, <laughs> with their printed image and <laughs> and, a, and a slightly higher generation yeah. um, bot. AI bot, <laughs> and they'll just be talking to each other. True, but and everybody again, will be sitting around gin, drinking gin and tonic. Yeah. <laughs> But then even if the kid did that, then maybe you'd give them the job anyhow because you go, you know what, you thought that through, you figured out enough to make that happen. I'm going to give you a job, not in that field, but instead you can come and work and build bots for us. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Ah. But it does it does start to challenge the whole nature of knowledge and education and uh, all of the, the, the traditional systems we've had. It will definitely um, detract from learning. The, re- the reason I say this is the, f- the feeling I had the first day that I used ChatGPT, where I'd, I was at work and I was trying to write paragraphs to explain a service and you know, write it in a, an engaging manner. So if someone were to read it, they'd go, oh, yes, that's well, that's clearly described the service and mm. I can see the value and the benefit and why I'd want to pay for that. So when I asked ChatGPT, because I was getting, I was having fun with it, and like feeding it in bits of information and say, taking this, give me a description like that. What it came back with was pretty good, but I didn't have to think through. Yeah, I didn't have yeah. to think through the sentence structure and is this word better than that word or does this convey what I want? That was done for me now. So I can imagine people who are just going to be using this all the time, that part of their brain which would have been doing that thinking to discriminate between this word and that word and structure it that way, that's now gone. Yeah, but it's doing something else instead, right? It's the part of their brain's still there. Yeah. So maybe it will allow well, allow people to open up whole new areas. Yeah. Have you heard of that idea? Um, well, that's true. You know how I'm, I'm thinking of uh, chess, playing chess, and how for a long, quite a long time now, the um, AI has been better than humans mm-hmm. at chess. But there's this thing that they call them centaurs. You know the idea of a centaur, half, half man, bit, half horse. Yeah. Well, it's a, a human and a computer playing on the Together. same team, <laughs> where the human, apparently that's even stronger. Yeah, I, I don't know if it still is, but at one yeah, point anyway, yeah, yeah. it was stronger than just the yeah. AI by itself. And so maybe that's a thing. We, we should be trying to embrace this system more yeah. and developing ourselves in directions that we haven't really thought of or we've only touched on a little bit before. So this is what I've been thinking about Neuralink, Elon Musk's Neuralink, where phase one, they're going to insert a chip into your brain, which will allow you to think, and that chip will then say wirelessly connect to your car or your computer, and you'll be able to control it. So it's mm. directional going out from your brain. Mm. So I'm pretty sure that Elon must be thinking, well, phase two will be, we'll put information into your brain. And so we'll start to be able to take the internet and put it in. Mm. So, well, why don't we put AI on that chip that's in your brain? So now when you start thinking about things, you've got your thoughts, but you're getting supplemented Mm. with ChatGP100 going, well, maybe we start here. Good, good call, man. Brain will start there, you know. <laughs> and as I say, if if they can do that, the the first one of those, the first one successfully, they wheel the person out, and they're like, "Yes, I've been augmented by ChatGPT." 
that will be the most popular selling product after sliced bread. Yeah, or heroin or cocaine well, or something. Yeah, like yeah. it will be in demand when you realize that your friend has got that implant and is now incredibly smart and you're not. It'll be terribly hard to do though. I mean the it will the, be. the the allowing you to think in a certain way that will control a chip. Yeah. It's a, it, it, a that's a much smaller problem. Orders of magnitude yeah, yeah. simpler than going the other way. Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah. But, but but they are they they're working towards it. Like not only are they building the like the 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 chip, but they're also building a whole fleet of robots to do the insertion into the brain to automate that because the the tiny wires that come off this chip mm. are so small they can't actually be placed correctly by a yeah. person. So yeah. they're going to have a, they have a dedicated machinery to do that. Have you come across the idea of cochlear implants? Yeah, oh, I've heard of them, but you know I don't really know what they. Well, are. this is taking our conversation back towards the ear yeah. again, but they are. You know how I was talking about those little hair cells in your cochlear and how the cochlear is like a snail shell. Yeah. Well, a cochlear implant is an a, array of electrodes that's literally inserted um, at the moment by a human, a surgeon, um, inserted into the cochlea. So it just goes around that, Curls around. that coil. And the cochlea's normally got those little hair cells in it, um, the hair cells being joined up to the auditory nerve fibres. Well, this um, electrode array goes through the tube of the cochlea and sits near the auditory nerve fibres. And then it electronically stimulates them. Instead of neurotransmitters um, being released by the hair cells, the electricity between this electro, the electrodes in this array, stimulates the nerves. Like you know, when you get an wow. electric, electric shock on your skin, yeah, same yeah, same yeah. sort of principle. And so it, um, one of the pro- properties of the cochlea is it's responsive to low frequencies at one end and high frequencies at the other end. And so the electrode array can kind of mimic that by. Uh, Sending current between two electrodes at one end for high frequencies and the other end for lower frequencies, and it it all relies on a decoding of the sound, so that the person still has to wear a little computer. It's called a speech processor on the outer part of their head. That's got the batteries and things, yeah. and then there's a little induction coil that's embedded into the skull, and that is what drives the electrodes. So you don't have batteries inside a, your head. Yeah, but. So that's one way in to the 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 the, the brain, right? Which yeah, if you're not, you could feed other stuff than um than, than sound in through that, and you you already can because you can Bluetooth directly to it. <laughs> so if someone's got a cochlear implant, they can listen to television or music through. It doesn't work that well for music. It's just music's a bit tricky to encode because it's set up for speech, right? But as the technology improves, yeah. But here's the thing, and what you made me think. You made me think about this. There's also what's called the brainstem implant. So if someone's auditory nerve that joins the um, the ear to the brain is damaged, yeah. which sometimes is the case, there's another form of implant that you can put into the brain itself. Same thing, because the, the brain has that, it's called tonotopicity, so where low frequencies at one end, high frequencies at the other. It, it The brain also preserves that in different places in the brain. And so you can put this little array of electrodes onto the brain itself, it will, again, induction of current from the... Stimulate and it. And people will hear stuff. It's not as good. You don't hear it as well. But maybe that would be the way in, would be through the existing sensory systems. Yeah. And we, we haven't been able to do one for vision yet. It, it does, doesn't work. They're, they're trying. But um, it, it's harder with vision. Um, 
but it could be that that's the way to to get the information into the brain. So is you end up with hearing it. You end up with a couple of little inserts at, around each auditory nerve and a couple around the optic nerve. Maybe, yeah. And then you've got your sound and vision yeah. coming in. Yeah, interesting. Here we stuff. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> shall we? Um, shall we wind it up yeah. for today? Yeah. It's been fun. It's it been has. really good chat. It has, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been really nice. I want to say thanks, Steph, for uh, for getting us in contact. So, look, we'll finish this off here. Um, I'll just kick this on. It'll start up again in a second. I think it stops recording. That was. <laughs>